First, we start with the federal election hype and speculation uh, across Canada right now. I think we're heading into an election this fall. My guest is Peter Julian, the NDP MP for New Westminster Burnaby. He's, he's the federal NDP House leader in the House of Commons, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Peter, thank you for coming on. My, my pleasure, Mike. Good to be with you. Hey, Peter. Um, just before we get into this uh, election issue, let me ask you quickly about the, uh, the the breaking news here this morning that once again, uh, sadly, is shocking the country. And we had a shocking number come out earlier about the num about the uh, the unmarked the bodies found in unmarked graves in Kamloops at that former residential school, two hundred and fifteen. Now we have an even more shocking number of 751 unmarked graves found near a residential school in, in Saskatchewan. You know, can, I know the NDP has been calling on the, the federal government to do more, right, in, the, uh, in response to these discoveries. We knew this could happen. We knew we could find more of these. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, I, I don't think words can really express uh, how, uh, how people react to this um, this appalling discovery, and this is yeah. 750 unmarked graves in Saskatchewan. That adds to uh, 100 in Manitoba, 250 in Kamloops. We're now at a thousand, more than a thousand children in either um, mass graves or unmarked graves. And this is only three of the residential schools. There were over 150 of them, right. and and so I, I think we can all look at the at this tragedy this is a beginning of of what was obviously systemic abuse uh, that uh and when we calculated out over 150 crime sites across the country we could be talking about tens of thousands of of uh, children they're found i it, it it should lead to a complete national reflection uh if we are really to achieve national reconciliation and and one of the things that Jagmeet Singh and the NDP have been calling for is that the government stop using taxpayers money to take the survivors of these residential schools to court and as you know there are a number of court cases now where the government uh, Mr Trudeau's government is is appealing decisions on compensation that were made to the victims of the uh, uh, horrendous abuses taking place in residential schools so it does not make sense in the context of finding over a thousand victims so far, that we have a federal government that is using taxpayers' money to deny those those victims uh, compensation that the courts have awarded them, and that the government wow. keeps appealing to try to stop them from getting uh, the compensation that uh, the courts have said that they they should be getting. Okay, as a story we continue to focus on here in the days ahead, uh, with um, and we could, as you said, we're likely to see more of this uh, these type of discoveries. Let me move on, Peter, to the election speculation running rampant in Canada right now. I think it's pretty clear that the Prime Minister here clearing the decks, setting the table for a fall election. And here's one of the clues I'll play here for you, uh, Trudeau, this week at a news conference where you'll hear him talk here about what he he calls a dysfunctional parliament, which to me is code for he wants an election. Have a listen. We have seen a level of obstructionism and uh, and toxicity in the House that is of real concern. Okay, obstructionism, toxicity, pointing the finger mainly at the opposition conservatives. 
Is that your read on it? I mean, do we got a dysfunctional, toxic parliament here that needs to get shut down and we need to clear the decks with another election? Your thoughts? Uh, that That's uh, political spin and hyperbole. Uh, even by Ottawa standards, it's uh, quite surprising because Mr. Trudeau knows that the legislation that the government had identified that they needed to get through uh, got got through the House of Commons. So the, the, the issue there is that uh, all parties, and I think this has been the really since the beginning of the pandemic, all parties have tried to work together to get legislation through. But there have been concerns expressed about Mr. Trudeau's direction. For example, he's, he's slashing severely the emergency response benefits uh, within the next couple of weeks that people are, are depending on to get through this pandemic, given the, the size and scope of the Delta variant now that is hitting a number of countries around the world, even in fully vaccinated populations. Uh, there, there is some broad concern that we're, we're, not, uh, we're not over uh, the variants that are prolonging the COVID crisis. And, and people depend, Canadians depend on those emergency benefits. So for Mr. Trudeau to slash the benefits in the middle of a period when people depend on them to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head just seems mean-spirited. So well, on the one hand, there's uh, yeah. this, this drive for an election. On the other hand, uh, I, I believe he's making uh, serious errors in, in providing the support to Canadians desperately needed. Well, time. okay. Well, I think it's clear that he wants an election, and I suspect that that's what we're going to get here in the fall. That would be my bet right now. And you can read between the lines and what he is saying. And this is code. Whenever he talks about toxic parliaments and obstructionism, it's code. That's the excuse that he will use to put in front of Canadians for. Uh, an election in the fall, I think. And, and you can see very, very similar talking points from liberal MPs across the country. It's almost like they've, they've all been told to fan out on social media, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else, and talk about the dysfunctional, toxic parliament that we got. This is the message that he wants to Canadians here as an excuse for holding an election. And so I, I don't know. I think we're going to get into an election here. And, and when we do, Peter, I wonder if he plans to run on his record of fighting this pandemic, I mean, you're saying the, the response is inadequate. I suspect that he will argue that it, it has it has been a big success and that he's ready to spend even more. I mean, we got a budget here with, what, over $100 billion and even more stimulus spending. So let me play this here for you. This is Trudeau in the House of Commons. And here he is. He's jousting with uh, your leader, Jagmeet Singh, here. Singh was taking him on. And here's how he, here's how he snapped back at your leader, Jagmeet Singh. Despite the rhetoric of the NDP, we had a very simple and straightforward focus for Canadians from the beginning of this pandemic that we would have their backs. And that's exactly what we've done with billions upon billions of dollars of supports for workers, for families, for seniors, for young people. Okay, okay, Peter, billions and billions and billions of dollars for Canadians. Come on. <laughs> well, the, the biggest package uh, was $750 billion dollars to Canada's banks to maintain profits. And as we know, during this pandemic, the bank profits have been absolutely through the roof. Uh, he knows, Mr. Trudeau knows, that it's the NDP that forced uh, the emergency response benefit, that, that forced uh, supports for seniors and students and people with disabilities and uh, the rent relief program and, and the wage subsidy that the government put in place uh, with uh, some major mistakes, but that allowed many of these uh, jobs to be maintained through the pandemic. And, and, I, and I think that's why Jagmeet Singh's popularity continues to, to rise. People have seen NDP just being focused on 
providing supports to, to people. I, I think uh, Mr. Trudeau makes a mistake if he thinks that uh, pushing an election at a time when we're still concerned about the variants uh, continuing and maintaining the, the COVID crisis, and, and if he chooses to do that, um, I, I, I think Canadians will judge him accordingly. If he, he does uh, Plan A, which should be, uh, coming back to provide additional supports, uh, responding to the COVID crisis with the depth that uh, is required. Uh, certainly, the NDP has, has proven through this uh, this crisis, and Jagmeet Singh yeah. has proven we're willing to work with the government to to make things better and to provide supports to oh, Canadians. Okay, therefore, last question for you, Peter Julian. Would, would therefore you you would say that there should be no election in the country? That Parliament should get back to work. You're off for the summer now, but come back in the fall. Keep working. Um, keep cooperating with all the parties in the minority parliament. No election, is that what you're saying? Uh, Jagmeet Singh moved a motion yesterday in the House that uh, before we, we rose to say let's get back to work in a couple of weeks. We need to fix a okay. number of these programs that aren't working. And so we're going to continue to push for that. We believe the House of Commons should be working this summer. And, um, hmm. and we're going to continue to push that that happens. But no, you don't want an election in the fall, though. Right? No, we, we okay, don't think okay. it's in Canadians' interest. We believe yeah. that we, we should be sticking to providing supports, and there are many Canadians that have still been left behind through this pandemic. Peter Julian, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. But always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Uh, okay. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about what to do now with the Vancouver Park Board. Vancouver is the only city in Canada with a separate elected board to run the city's parks. Why? Why does this thing even exist a lot of people are asking that question after a lot of controversies with this park board one of the person one of the people putting that notion forward is my next guest ken sim he's a vancouver business leader he's running to be the mayor of vancouver in next year's election going for a, a rematch here against kennedy stewart i'm very pleased to welcome him to the show ken thanks for coming on hey mike uh, thanks for having me okay i appreciate your time here can you remind the listeners uh last time you ran for mayor I mean, it was really close there. It was less than a thousand votes, right? Uh, I think it was nine hundred and fifty-seven. Not that anyone cares, <laughs> and it, <laughs> but it was uh, evidently the closest uh, mayoral race in Vancouver history. Yeah. Okay, that's fascinating. So, going for the rematch next year, it appears against uh, against Kennedy Stewart. Are you running? Just before we get into this park board business, are you running on a like a slate or with a party or as an independent or, or have you figured that out yet? Yeah, I figured it out. So uh, there's a new party called A Better City, and I would love to run for the nomination process that they're going to have, whatever it is. And then uh, from that, uh, there's going to be a slate of councillors, uh, park and school board uh, candidates. And together as a team, we're going to try to transform the city. Okay, so we're gonna... you, you, can't, you, you can't do it as an individual, and I have no uh, desire to do it as an individual. Okay, we're going to follow that very closely. Let's talk about the Vancouver Park Board here now. Now, you think the Park Board, what, we should get rid of it? Absolutely. Um, the Park Board, you know, at the end of the day, it's not transparent. It's not accountable. It's not effective. And I, I truly believe it's time to take politics out of our parks and roll the Park Board back under uh, City Council like every other city in Canada. Yeah, like this Park Board... Yeah, Vancouver is the only one who's, who does this, it, it appears. But it's been around since, what, the 1800s, I think. So it's been around for a yeah. long time. Uh, there could be some, do you think there could be some entrenched interest there that would fight to keep it? 
Oh, sure. There are, there are a lot of people that still want to keep it. But I think that based on my conversations with people across the city, the majority of people actually, uh, they don't understand why it exists. And the ones that do um, actually do want to get rid of it. Yeah, I wonder at election time when people go in to mark their ballots and they look down and they see park board and they see all these names for park board, if they even know who these park board commissioners even are. Kind of doubt it. Yeah, I'd agree with that statement. Yeah, I mean, most of, okay, what do you think the park board has done wrong? Like, what are, you know, there's a, there's a list here we can go through, but what are some of the issues you think they've mismanaged? Uh, well, there, there are a few things. Um, I think that the big pressing one would be Strathcona and Oppenheimer Park. Um, they got in the way of the process, um, and at the end of the day, people suffered, and people were terrorized in those parks. You know, people with mental health addictions, uh, people experiencing homelessness, they were terrorized. Some people died. Uh, we have uh, $2 million being spent on a few toilets uh, in our city. Uh, bike lanes, uh, the change management at Stanley Park. And it doesn't matter if you're pro-bikes or against bikes. At the end of the day, there is a way where bikes and cars and pedestrians and businesses can all coexist. Um, and it could have been handled a lot better. Uh, and the, the topic that's come up uh, recently is taking 30 months to get to the pilot stage as to whether or not we can have an, a, a responsible drink in our parks. Even yeah, though the province yeah. has already approved it, other cities um, are doing it and people in Vancouver are doing it as well. And we can't get our act together when it comes to the parks on this Yeah. One. Yeah, I mean, just letting people enjoy a cold beer or a glass of wine in a park. I mean, other municipalities have got this done during the pandemic, give people a little bit of relief. But in Vancouver, for some reason, it's just it's just more complicated and they just can't seem to get it across the finish line, although they say they're, they're getting close. You mentioned the um, the price tag for installing some toilets in a, in a park and. The most notorious example here is the single stall toilet that was installed at Cooper's Park for a very high price tag. Let me play this here for you, Ken. This is uh, Global News reporter Grace Key on that very expensive Cooper's Park toilet. Have a listen. It's made of heavy-gauge stainless steel with an open top and bottom to help reduce criminal activity. It has an anti-graffiti coating and hand-washing unit outside. The Portland Loo will be popping up in Vancouver's Cooper's Park. The total price tag, $645,000. No, no, definitely no, it's too much. That's a drop in the bucket for the budget in Vancouver. Yeah, that seems very pricey. <laughs> um, yeah. The sticker price for the toilet is high. But as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's like the tank of toilets. It's, it's virtually indestructible, right? And, and unfortunately, we spend a lot of money uh, in our toilets, uh, in the toilet system, uh, just repairing uh, damage. Okay, okay. so $645,000 for a, a toilet in Cooper's Park. So Ken Sim, your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that, that project was just mismanaged? I mean, it, it's like a single stall toilet. It's not like... It's not like it's a huge building. It's like a little teeny tiny structure. It is. And look, I, I support the installations of uh, toilets in our parks um, yeah. to give everyone access to uh, uh, facilities. I think when you look at the actual cost of the toilet, it's less than $200,000. So we're talking about almost a half million dollars to install a toilet. And we have precedents in other jurisdictions where they're installing the same toilet 
at a fraction of the cost. That's the issue. Okay, so what would you call for there? Some sort of review of spending? Or, or you're saying like, okay, shut the park board down, and if you let the city city council control it, you think it would be better? Or? Well, I, I'm, st- I, I'm for a park board. Don't get me wrong. I'm just against an elected park board because it seems like we have our elected officials playing politics on issues, and they're not focused on the parks. So that's why I, I, I'm against an elected park board. When it comes to issues like the toilet, um, why aren't we putting it out to a competitive bid? Like, if we are, and we're still coming up with the 500 grand, I think we still have to look at that, uh, that process. We can do better. Okay, talking to Ken Sim, he's running to be the mayor of Vancouver. Let me ask you about the Stanley Park uh, bike lanes. This is another one where the Vancouver Park Board took a lot of heat. Uh, we've had people who run small businesses in the park who were negatively impacted by the bike lanes who've been on the show here, uh, furious about the way this was handled. What are, what are your thoughts on the Stanley Park bike lane? Well, I do believe that we bikes and cars can co- coexist in that park. I think we, we squandered an amazing opportunity to have the whole city engaged in creating something wonderful that works for everyone. I've spoken with a lot of those uh, business owners and they're they're incredibly frustrated because during a pandemic when they were getting hammered left right and center and they're barely hanging on this was thrown in front of their faces uh with effectively no consultation they were not heard and i find it really hard to believe that we can't figure out how we can make bike lanes exist coexist with cars and businesses in one of the greatest parks in the world it doesn't make any sense how would you do it better if you were mayor? Well, I engage and listen to all stakeholders and have them all at the table and give them the vision of, look, um, bike lanes actually do make sense in the park. And so how do we do this in a way that uh, it works for the cyclists, works for the tourists, and actually works for the businesses? Because if we do it right, not only do we make the park even better, we will increase traffic, which will help our businesses. So why aren't we listening to the businesses for their input? All right, welcome back. Talking to Ken Sim, running to be the mayor of Vancouver. He wants to abolish Vancouver's elected park board. It's the only one in Canada. Uh, let's go right to your phone calls here. Rob in Vancouver. Hi, Rob. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. Go ahead. Hey, so yeah, I had an issue with the parks board. I was trying to uh, book a wedding in Queen Elizabeth Park, and I was using their online um, platform. Basically, there's a morning for 10 to, 10 to 2, and then a 4 to 8. Basically, I couldn't book any of the time, so I sent an email, as none of it would process, and I was told that my permit would be declined, as someone already booked the 2 to 4 p.m., which is the actual two-hour window for downtime. So oh, dealing with oh. the Vancouver Park Board is an absolute joke. They don't oh. even use their own website properly. Okay, Ken, um, do you think the Park Board, stuff like that, could be administered better without a Park Board? Like you're saying, what, the city could do it better? Yeah, I, I think the city could do it better, for sure. Like, I, I, I don't think the elected officials sit in a room and go through the, the micro um, issues that are very important, by the way, on how the website works. And so, you know, we could bring it back to the people that actually should be, you know, operating the, the yeah. parks. Okay, Cindy in Vancouver. Hey, Cindy. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Go ahead. Uh, great, thanks. So, um, with 
there's many things that Ken's saying that doesn't make any sense. Um, but I think I heard a flip-flop, too. I thought I've heard him say before that he was against the park board, and now he's saying he's for the park board, but just not elected. But we can leave that aside for right now. What I think is being, one of the things that is being missed is that it's the political makeup of the board members and who has control of the park board and the decisions that are being made. The group and it's the NPA are in the minority position and Ken went against the NPA and trying to start his own something, his own political party. But it's the NPA who are voting against those stupid decisions that people are complaining about, whether it's bike lanes or, or other issues. And that the NPA are also in a minority on city council. So if you win and abolish the, the political um, uh, elect, elected park board and tax the park board underneath city council and have the same city council as we have now, you'd get the same yeah. result. So that's oh, okay. Ken, Ken, what do you say to that? Uh, Cindy, thank you for your uh, your questions and your comments. And just just to be clear, I've always been for the parks board. I'm just against the elected parks board because of the political posturing. When it comes to your question, well, let's just look at our results right now. We still, unfortunately, the parks board isn't transparent, accountable, or effective. And it doesn't matter, you know, how we get there. The fact is we have all the same issues that we just discussed. You know, $645,000 spent on a toilet. The chaos at Strathcona and Oppenheimer Parks. 30 months just to get to a pilot stage to have a responsible drink, uh, the bike lane issue. And so we can do better. And I know some people still love the park at the elected parks board. I think we have to question whether or not, you know, if, if this thing isn't working, we either fix it or we get yeah. rid of it. Okay. Like when you say that you would retain the park board, but it would just be a, an appointed board and not an elected board. Like, who would appoint the board under the system that you would prefer? You know, it, it, it could be similar to how we uh, appoint the uh, Vancouver, uh, Vancouver Police Board or the Vancouver Public Library Board, both of which call, come under the jurisdiction of City Council as well. Okay, so appoint so, by you know, council. A council should appoint the parks board. Uh, well, I think uh, the the police board is appointed by you know you have uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong here, but the province has a say in it, and the the, the mayor of the city has the board um, seat as an example. So we can figure out the logistics. That's not the issue. the The issue is we should take the politics okay. out of the parks board. Okay, let's go to Bob in Vancouver. Hi, Bob. Mike and Ken, um, calling about the. Uh, bike lane or proposed bike lane the park board had at kitts beach a couple of years ago and they tried to put it through and then realized the uh, park was endowed so they weren't able to but since covid hit the city closed all the parking along arbutus and maple and it's continued no parking even though i don't know why it's still shut but i think uh, the city's going to make it a bike lane without uh, if they have spoken to anyone i haven't heard i live in kitsilano so i'm just frustrated with both the parks board and the city uh it's just not transparent okay okay ken sim ken your thoughts yeah bob yeah bob thanks for your question and i would agree with you i think that the frustration with residents across the city is uh, our government and in this case the parks board isn't transparent and isn't being held to account 
Um, and so we're not having those conversations. Okay, what about this Kitsilano bike? I thought the city was bringing in like a temporary Kitsilano, uh, Kitsilano bike lane. I thought that was the status of that temporary one. Yeah, well, if you if you go to Kits right now, um, you can ride along what Point Grey Road, then you cut through the park, and then there, you cut through the parking lot, yeah. um, just south of the tennis courts, and then you 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 basically go on the road again, and they're designated, um, you know, uh, streets for the bikes. Um, it, it seems like it, it's kind of working right now, but is that going to be permanent? Um, yeah. Did, did we talk to the residents to see, uh, you know, what the effect is on them? Uh, I think those are conversations that still need to be had. And I okay. think at the end of the day, residents are just frustrated because they feel like they aren't being listened to and they have no say and it's being rammed down their throats. We just got 30 seconds. Scott and North Van, you got to go quick. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so uh, the park is a, is a part of my regular ride. I've been doing it for about 15 years, and uh, there's four months, maybe four and a half months of the year through the summer that you have a lot of traffic through there. The rest of the year, there's nobody there. So the idea of a dedicated uh, bike lane year-round is ridiculous. And as far as the emissions right. go, you got a kilometer line of cars behind one of those tally-ho wagons. How's that for yeah. emissions? No, I hear you. Thank you for the calls. Uh, Ken, Sim, we're out of time. we got more calls that we just can't get to, so we'll just have to have you back on. Thank you for coming on today, though. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, all right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the border restrictions now in the Canada-U.S. border. The border closure and restrictions officially extended now until July 21st. Disappointing for many, especially in the tourism sector, who have been battered by the pandemic. The Tourism Industry Association of Canada this week calling the extension of the Canada-U.S. border closure a punch to the gut for the millions of Canadians working in the tourism industry. Let's get a local angle on it now with my guest, Walt Judas, who is the CEO of the Tourism Industry Association of BC. Walt, thanks for coming on again. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, Walt, uh, the national leader here of the tourism industries in Canada calling this a gut punch. Uh, the extension of the border closure, do you feel the same way? Absolutely, no question it is. In fact, I got a note from a tourism operator in the Kootenays earlier this week, and he said, I spent the morning cancelling $100,000 in reservations and telling 20 staff they don't have a job. The ripple effect is already creating cancellations into August. Why are there no alarm bells going off? This cannot go on forever there will be no tourism left. And that's the sentiment I think you see across the province from many operators who are counting on some signals that the borders would be reopened, at least to those who are fully vaccinated. Right. So these are cancellations largely, I guess, from Americans who were hoping to come up here this summer? Most from Americans, to be sure, but uh, certainly from some international guests as well. And remember, these are people that couldn't come last year, and some deferred their trips to this year, thinking that by now, at the very least, we would see some visitation allowed for non-essential reasons to Canada, because many other countries around the world are allowing visitors. And so why are we so far behind? And here we are encroaching on July And we still don't have a firm date. And yet, many of the signals the federal government has offered have been realized, like the percentage of vaccines for Canadians, the first dose and then the second dose. But why is it that we're seeing a rollover on a monthly basis of the border closure? It's not helping at all. 
What has been the impact on the tourism sector here in British Columbia? So important. I was reading some of the comments last week from the head of the Hotel Association of Canada saying that they could expect a lot of Canadian hotels to actually go out of business. They just, they just feel like a lot of hotels are just so struggling so badly. But what is the impact here at home in BC right now? Well, normally we're a 21 or a $22 billion sector in terms of revenue on an annual basis. Last year, that amounted to less than seven. And remember, this year we were in, in uh, travel restrictions in January and February. So unlike last year, where at least we had somewhat of a start. So unless we see international visitation at some point this year, we might even be in a worse position than we were in 2020. So uh, it's significant. Many businesses are barely hanging on. You know, uh, in places like Vancouver and Victoria, without crews, without the meeting sector, without major events and festivals, sporting events and so on, the, uh, the major urban centers are hurting. And certainly many of the smaller communities that would welcome people from the U.S. and uh, different sectors such as fishing resorts or fishing guides yeah. and outfitters, none of them have any business and they can't possibly hold on a second year. They were barely holding on last year. So we, uh, we desperately need borders open at some point soon or we'll lose many of those businesses for good. Right. Speaking of Walt Judas, Tourism Industry Association of BC. Walt, what are you hearing from uh, the federal government and, and your sources in, in Ottawa? Because it, it appears that there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. We hear about a vaccine passport. We hear about an app that people might be able to use to show that they're double vaccinated to move back and forth across the border. You would think this should be an urgent priority here. Uh, what is your hope and expectation for that? Well, we do know that the province has been talking regularly with the feds and advocating on our behalf. We are hearing some good signals, and certainly the public pressure is mounting, uh, not only from within industry, but people who have family in other parts of the world that can't visit, certainly by the business community, etc. But, uh, but we are hearing stronger signals that there will be some decisions taken soon, on the issue of vaccine passports, that has also gained some traction recently, and there's some work going on as far as the technology is concerned. All of that is very hopeful. But at the same time, uh, we are looking for some of those announcements to be sooner than later, before government right. takes a recess for the summer. We can't wait until July 20th to know whether the border restrictions will be rolled over yet another month or when an announcement will be made we need that almost immediately would you like the thought is that for people who are double vaccinated so they've received the first and the second shot they're fully vaccinated they, these are the target the target audience that we want to allow people to travel freely across the border of course there are different rates like canada is behind the united states in terms of the percentage of the population who have been double vaccinated should that be a barrier to getting that border open i mean you might have more Americans who are able to come north than Canadians who are able to head south, but maybe that's not a not a bad bad thing for tourism, right? Not bad at all. In fact, yeah. you know the recent announcement by the federal government to suggest that Canadians returning from international uh, destinations who have been double vaccinated are free. Uh, they don't have to 
uh, quarantine for two weeks, nor do they have to stay right. in a hotel for three days. Well, the same should apply to any international visitor. And if we need to start with the U.S., that's terrific. Uh, but we don't see any difference between allowing Canadians to uh, forego some of the previous restrictions and internationals to have to, to, to face the restrictions, or sorry, to forego those restrictions. We, we, we think it should be even, Stephen, for everyone. Plus, one thing that people don't realize now, if Canadians realize that they are double vaccinated, they can travel anywhere else in the world and not face those restrictions when they come home, they're likely to go south for vacation instead of spending it here at home. So it's a bit of a double whammy to us. While we continue to follow it closely, thank you for coming on today with your thoughts. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, welcome back to the show. We touched on this one yesterday. How would you feel about a Major League Baseball team right here in Vancouver? One person is clearly a fan of the idea. The mayor of Vancouver. Our show contributor, John Jang, sat down with Mayor Kennedy Stewart to talk baseball in Vancouver. John. Hey, good morning, Mike. If Major League Baseball is ever going to work in Vancouver, it needs support from different levels of government, starting with, of course, municipal approval. And earlier this week, wouldn't you know it, Mayor Kennedy Stewart publicly endorsed the idea on his personal Twitter account, saying that he's been a longtime fan of the game and would love to see it happen here in Vancouver. Mayor Stewart joins us now, and I'm curious, Mayor, what prompted you to send out that tweet on Tuesday morning? Well, first of all, I, I see one uh, of the main parts of my job is to try and go out and get uh, jobs for Vancouverites and uh, not just for us here in the city, but right around the region. And so that can mean all kinds of things like talking to uh, CEOs of large tech firms or uh, movie studio owners, and it includes uh, attracting uh, major league sports too. So I see that it was all part of my job and I, and not to kind of sit here and wait for the offers to come, but to try to go out and get them. And so, uh, that's, uh, that's um, you know, just as kind of a daily routine and looking for opportunities and trying to secure them. And, and the opportunity I see here is, you know, uh, folks can walk from their, you know, condo downtown to a, to a ballpark. They could sit in and watch, uh, you know, Canadian-born uh, players hit a home run uh, into the, you know, with the mountains in the background uh, as we uh, beat the Yankees and win the World Series. I mean, I, I could see all that happening here, uh, and um, and so why not go out and try to get it? I love that idea. I mean, certainly I can imagine it quite vividly in my mind, the way you're describing it. But obviously with that in mind, uh, it takes us to, I guess, one of the major hurdles, logistically speaking, of any baseball team coming to Vancouver, which is where this team would play. I mean, I, I don't think you necessarily have the answer for that, but do you have uh, some sort of an estimation of, of what that location could eventually look like? Yeah, I mean, for me, I was, uh, you know, this is mentioned, I think, by the uh, baseball commissioner a few years ago, um, you know, and I've had some conversations about what it would take to, to get a team here, uh, have looked at some uh, land around the city that I think, uh, you know, as mayor, I know things other people don't know, so so I kind of think there's a few sites that might work for this, and just want to kind of have an initial package together that if Major League Baseball's uh, interested, then we could give them, you know, uh, pardon the pun, a pitch for why Vancouver <laughs> would be a, a great place for them to come. Would any of those theoretical proposals include what was originally proposed a few years ago by the Whitecaps ownership group, something to do with a waterfront stadium near Gastown? 
you know, I don't want to comment on specific sites, but uh, the information I have uh, from folks in this industry is that, you know, it has to be uh, um, a, a baseball kind of only park specifically built. It really needs to face particular directions in order to get sunsets, uh, you know, for camera shots and that type of thing. So there are, I think, at least a couple of locations around the city that might work. There's all kinds of details that would have to be worked out there, but I I do think there's some opportunities, which is, uh, you know, so, I mean, I just, uh, if Major League Baseball is interested in it, we could package up something and talk to the the landowners. It might be us, the city. It might be a private landowner. It might be uh, some combination of that. So um, the main thing is, though, is is to uh, not just sit back and wait, but if there is, you know, go knock on the door and see if uh, if there's some opportunity there. To your point about this being a job creation opportunity, which is absolutely true. I mean, that's thousands of jobs that wouldn't have existed before. So that's obviously a a feather in your cap. Uh, But it also works the other way. If we're talking about a brand new ballpark somewhere in the city, critics would say, you know, it seems like a poor time to be thinking about such a thing, especially since the economy uh, with the pandemic and such is not exactly on its uh, firmest legs. You know, for me, I think you always have to be thinking of these things. And, uh, you know, I think people would be disappointed if I didn't go out and try to explore new ideas to bring jobs to the city. Uh, so I can imagine the outrage if there, you know, if there was these opportunities that I and I wasn't pursuing them. So uh, for me, I, I think, you know, let's try to be more optimistic. Like this is uh, a great global city. We have tons of potential here. We have lots of people interested. I mean, I get calls every day from large companies that are looking to expand, uh, and Vancouver is one of the primary places they want to come. And so I don't see any reason why there wouldn't be interest here. So, uh, But it's, it, I feel it's my job to go out and, and try to figure out, you know, whether it works for the city. Um, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't be keen on spending a lot of taxpayers' money on, on uh, this kind of enterprise, but, um, but I'd also want to hear what the, what the opportunities are. So, uh, you know, more entrepreneurial in spirit, maybe than, than past mayors, trying to see what can we create here and how can we make this the, the best city in the world. And you did mention the Vancouver Canadians in that tweet that I uh, talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, what kind of a role or conversation have you had with the president there, Andy Dunn, with uh, the possibility of this maybe becoming a thing in Vancouver? Yeah, I mean, we talk often with uh, with the C's uh, ownership and management, and uh, got to throw it a pitch uh, a couple years ago, which was awesome. Got a strike, uh, <laughs> so that uh, that made me feel pretty good. But uh, you know, we're working with them uh, uh, with the C's, of course, and we uh, you know on making sure their operations are a success. Uh, you know, and, and talking with the federal government, for example, about uh, border openings and and how that can help the the C's kind of get back on track here. So uh, I think. Um, you know, any uh, conversation about expanding baseball and, and uh, whether it's amateur or professional is uh, so far been welcomed by the C's, uh, C's uh, team. So that's great. And um, and I thank them for their, their advice and, uh, and uh, conversations we've been having. So that's been great. Uh, you know, and the same thing goes, uh, you know, in terms of encouraging expansion here. We could, we could talk the same thing about an NBA team or a, a WNBA team. Uh, if you know if there is any possibility of of us being included on on the list for those leagues, uh, definitely would go out and try to get that too. 
And final question for you, Mayor. You mentioned you've been a longtime fan. So are you ready to tip your hand as to which team you actually endorse and support in Major League Baseball? <laughs> is it the Blue Jays as a good Canadian man, or would it be maybe the Mariners as they are the geographically closest team? You know, I've got to get in trouble for this, but I have been a lifelong Cardinals fan. And, uh, <laughs> I think I, I liked them since the early 80s. I mean, I've always cheered for the Blue Jays like everybody else, but at least in the in the National League, it's always been uh, the Cardinals for me. But, uh, of course, Seattle's been exciting forever, too. But you can imagine, uh, you know, a, a Vancouver team here, and that, uh, like the Canucks, would capture all our hearts. And, and I, you know, again, I can see, uh, you know, hot dogs and beers on a hot afternoon while we watch, uh, you know, while we watch the Yankees or, or Blue Jays or Seattle or or maybe the Cardinals come, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I just think like it's, it's you know, we've been through such a tough time with the pandemic. It's nice to think about the future of the city and uh, what we could actually become. And that's uh, what I'm trying to focus on here. A Cardinals fan. Mayor, this interview was going so well. <laughs> and know, then you, you had to go there. <laughs> sorry about that. No, but, that's, you know, what can you do? That, that's a, Hey, you know what? The heart wants what the heart wants. Sometimes you can't explain <laughs> why. Uh, he is Mayor Kennedy Stewart, uh, publicly endorsing the idea of an MLB team maybe one day coming to Vancouver. Who knows? Could be closer than we actually think. Uh, Mayor Stewart, thank you so much for giving us some time here today. Okay. See you later.